Before you get seated, I just want to, uh, growing people change, and there's nothing more exciting than to see life change in taking this step of baptism. What uh, many of you may not know is that uh, we had a mission team in Guatemala this past week. Uh, we celebrated a baptism within that team, and then this past week, Celebrate Recovery had their celebration service. We had a baptism during that service. So God is moving in our midst, and he's speaking to all of us, and so uh, just give yourselves a hand for being here this morning. We're really excited about that. You can be seated. Uh, we are in this series of James. This is uh, chapter three, week number six. We're talking about wisdom. Before we uh, get into that, there's just one other announcement. This next Saturday night, so uh, uh, in six days, we are having worship night here at Grace Fellowship. We've never had it on a Saturday night before. So it's a little different, but we want you to come uh, 6.30. It's one of my favorite events in the life of grace. I love it every time we do this, four times a year. Uh, and you're not going to want to miss this. Uh, we're, we have a special uh, way of doing that uh, uh, this time around. So I think you're going to enjoy it. But be, prior to that, at 5.45, uh, we are having a pre-worship prayer service uh, where I'm inviting and encouraging uh, all of you to come. And uh, what better way to prepare for worship uh, than to spend time in prayer. Uh, and you will need to do, you will need a Bible or access to a Bible on your device. You will need a journal, something to write in, and then, of course, a pen uh, to write uh, in that journal. If you are a rooted participant, you'll be familiar with what we're going to do. If you're not a rooted participant, you're going to enjoy what uh, we're going to do. And so uh, we're going to spend 30 minutes uh, praying, uh, praying the Bible and getting ourselves prepared for worship. So if you want to do that at 545, and then come at, uh, then stick around at 6.30. Uh, child care is provided through age nine. And so uh, that's this Saturday night. So put it in your calendar um, and show up. Okay, James chapter three. We're looking at verses 13 uh, through 18. We've been in this uh, book for a number of weeks and we're gonna, uh, we've got about four more weeks uh, to go. This, uh, this morning we're talking about wisdom. And so I just sat down, I'm gonna stand back up. Would you stand with me and let me uh, uh, read this passage uh, for us. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, you may be seated. Thank you very much. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, um, part of the problem with this uh, expository teaching, and that's what we're doing in the book of James, we're taking section by section in this letter, and we're unpacking what the original author meant when he wrote it, and what God wants us to know about it uh, 2,000 years uh, later. But the problem is, uh, here's, if you were to get a letter in the mail, or more commonly now, an email uh, from someone, uh, you wouldn't do what we're doing here. You know, you wouldn't read a couple of verses and then come back to it a week later. 
later and read a couple more verses and come back a week later and read a couple more verses, you would lose the continuity uh, and, and the overall message of that email or that letter. But uh, because uh, we want to unpack everything that this letter says, that this is what we do. We're taking you know, what would take about seven or eight minutes for you to read in one sitting, we're taking 10 weeks, actually, uh, to read and unpack. And so again, uh, it loses a lot of its continuity in what James is actually wanting us uh, to say. And so um, let, let me just summarize, I think, what James is talking to us about in this entire letter. And as we look at each section, to look at it through the filter of that, of that statement. James said a couple of weeks ago, faith without works is dead. Say that with me. Faith without works is dead. James is a very practical letter uh, helping us to understand how to live out uh, genuine faith. And we've looked at this uh, uh, in the weeks that we've been in this. Uh, a person with genuine faith knows how to navigate struggle and difficulty and trial. We know how to seek for wisdom. We know how to, uh, to properly look at suffering in the context uh, of the gospel. James talked to us a couple of weeks ago uh, about uh, uh, prejudice and judgmentalism and how to treat people fairly and equitably without, without favoritism. A genuine person of faith uh, knows how to use their tongue. A person of genuine faith is evidenced uh, in the way that he speaks to people, how he speaks life uh, into the life of others. And so this morning, uh, he's going to talk to us about a person of genuine faith exhibits wisdom uh, in the way that they live. Okay? We, who is wise and standing among you? By his good conduct, or in other words, <clears throat> by the way that he lives his life, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he will show it in the meekness or the humility uh, of wisdom. <clears throat> Wise people think before they talk. Wise people weigh all the evidence and information before they make a decision. They don't, they don't rush into just choosing something. Uh, wise people, what's a wise person? Um, they think about the long-term fruit of a choice rather than the short-term benefit of a choice. You know, all, all of those things that, that wise people do. James is saying to us that you, you, you can't be a wise person and act like a moron. When I was a kid, I couldn't use the word idiot. I, you know, um, I couldn't call anybody idiot. But uh, moron, can I use that word? Is that all right? I'll get forgiveness later. Uh, you, you can't, the, the Bible would use the word fool. Is that a better word? I don't know. Uh, the Bible, it talks about people who don't think before they talk. Be, they don't weigh the evidence before they choose. They don't think of the long-term consequences of their life choices. Uh, foolish people get themselves, and James says this, gets themselves into all kinds of trouble, all kinds of disorder and chaos and vile practice because they're, because they're not wise. And why are people not wise? Why are people foolish? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 says, that a fool has said in his heart, a moron has said in his heart, there is no God. In other words, a foolish person would, would reject the higher authority in their lives. They would, not, uh, you know, they would not consider accountability to the higher authority in their lives. And they, so they just reap the fruit of foolish decisions, disi disorder, and chaos. Contrast that with Proverbs 9 that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the way to live a wise life. It's to first of all acknowledge that there is a higher authority in your life. That there is a way to live that is, that is wise. 
in contrast to what so, so much of what we see in our world, there, there's a way that, that that's lives that are lived that are just, just plain foolishness. Just, do you notice any foolishness in our culture? Any moronic behavior? You know, from the halls of Congress to the streets of Hollywood and everywhere in between, my word, we live in a culture of, of just, just plain foolishness. Not wanting to acknowledge uh, the higher power, the higher authority in our lives, which is the source of our life. I want to uh, start this morning with a, uh, a supposition. I'm going to put it on the screen and, and read this, the phrase for you. God has designed the world in such a way that creates human flourishing only when we follow that design. God has designed the world in such a way that creates human flourishing, life in all of its fullness, only when we follow the design that God has created for the world to live. The Bible tells us that it was out of wisdom, in wisdom, with wisdom, that God created all that we see and know. Chaos is a sign of foolishness. Wisdom is a sign of order. So I want us to, to look at this statement again. And the first half of that statement says, God has designed the world. God has designed, who, who designed the world? God has designed the world, <clears throat> which means you did not. Okay, we need to be reminded of that. Okay, uh, creation was not about you. It is not about you. You were created, but it's not about, it's, it's about God. The Bible is clear on this, friends. God created everything for his glory. We are not always wise enough to get that. God created you first and foremost for his glory. So it is not about you. It is about God. God is the point, which means you are not, you are not the point. Turn to the person you came with and tell them you are not the point. Now, don't be happy about that. Just, I mean, it's a sad thing. Uh, you, are, you are not, and we don't always get that, right? We don't, we don't always get that. Um, God created me, I know. God loves me, I know. Jesus died for me, I know. So why am I not the point? Well, I'm not. It's really hard for us to accept that or to get that. Honestly, I mean, I want to be the point. Why can't I be the point? Is there any time? Can I, can I not be the point? When I, when I go to work, I, I want to be the point. When I come home from work, I want to be the point. When I'm on my way to work, get all the morons off the road. I want to get to work. And why, why can I not be the point? And so... Uh, Everything, you know, it's my universe, you, get, you people get to live in it. That's kind of how we operate through life. We, we want to be the point. Everything revolves around us. And honestly, you know what? Our, our Western culture does nothing but reinforce that thinking in us, in every one of us. With every commercial, I am told that I am the point. And I like it. I want to be the point. And so and when I am the point, friends... I don't have time for inconvenience and discomfort. When I am the point, there is no room for pain or suffering or loss. How dare the world not acquiesce to my desires because I am the point. The fool has said in his heart, what? I am the point. I am the point. Okay, so I want all of us to do something this morning. I want all of us to say together, I am the point. Okay, here we go. I am the point. Now, say it like you've always believed it to be true, okay? I am the point. And say it as much as you want and get it out of your system and then don't ever say it again. Don't ever say it again. You want to be wise? 
you are not the point. God has created, our 21st century America is a culture in crisis because we are all individuals in crisis. We have rejected the point. We have rejected the only source of our identity and purpose. God, yes, he created us. And when we reject the God who created us, we don't know who we are. And we don't know how life should be lived. Everything is up for grabs, and it creates the chaos and the disorder and the every vile practice that we see in our culture. We are a culture in crisis because we no longer have a point. Friends, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we have been created and we have been redeemed for the praise of His Glorious grace. It is all about him. God is the point. Jesus is the point. This is the best news that you could ever receive in your life because here's the deal, friends. When you, when you are wise enough to embrace the fact that life is not about you, you are now free to live the life God designed for you. When I am the point, everything goes haywire. Do you understand the degree of freedom you would experience when you finally realize that it's not about you? I go home from work. It's all about me and so I have expectations I have standards I have things it, things it better line up the way I want otherwise everything goes haywire and, and that's exactly how it goes right because life does not acquiesce to my dreams and wishes uh, I'm not free to love and serve my wife. I'm not free to enjoy my kids. I'm not free to do anything but get frustrated and angry because the world doesn't bow to my expectations. You realize how exhausting of a way of life that is when you make yourself the point. The more life is about you, the more miserable of a human being you're going to be. You want to you have a miserable marriage? Just make it all about you right? If you want to have, you know, uh, bad relationships with your children, just make it all about you. You want to be disrespected at work, just make it all about you. Just make yourself the point of everything. It is such a foolish way to live that the, to think that the universe, the infinite universe created by an infinite God would make you the point. <laughs> How highly must you think of yourself? It's just foolishness. Yes, God created you out of love for love to be loved, but the universe, doesn't, the universe doesn't wake up every morning wondering how to make you happy. Sorry, you're just not that important. Nor does it wake up every morning trying to decide how to make your life miserable. When God is the, friends, the heavens declare the glory of God, not the glory of you. And so it's just very hard for us to get over ourselves. Friends, when life is not about you, you don't have to take all of that stuff personally. You don't have to take all of the, you don't have to take all the trials and the temptations. You don't have to take all the things that don't go right uh, personally because it's not about you anyway. And you have the freedom to process that and to allow God to teach you and to mold you and to grow you up into wisdom. You can look to God, the God of the universe, and trust him to make all things right if you surrender to his will, if you make him the point. Which is the second point in this statement. If you look at it again, God has created the world in such a way that creates human flourishing, the life that you ultimately want to live, only when you follow that design. Which is to say, when you make God the point, your life will flourish. Not because you're the point, but because he is. If it's all about God, then I'm free from making it all about me. But also, if it's all about God, that means everything he desires for me leads me into joyful submission because I know he has life for me. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
God has designed the world, he made it, you didn't, in a way that can give you a flourishing life if you follow that design. Uh, The beginning of all wisdom is the acknowledgement that God and life in all of its fullness comes from him. And life at its greatest potential of flourishing is lived according to the design God created it. So let's go back to uh, James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, by his lifestyle, he is evidenced to acknowledge God as the point and willing to follow his design for life. Let him show it, let him show his works in the meekness or the humility of that kind of wisdom. And so James in this passage is talking about false wisdom or wisdom that is not wisdom and true wisdom. False wisdom basically rejects everything I just said. Okay, foolishness, Uh, just rejects everything that I've just talked about for the last seven minutes. False wisdom, or wisdom that is not wisdom, forgets about God. There is no God. It's all about me. And if God does exist, he exists for my happiness. And so there's no one right way to live. There's a way that seems right to me, and that's the way that I will follow. And so what does that get me? James goes on in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, this is what it gets you, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, Do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James says that false wisdom, foolish thinking, leads you into arrogance and pride, fills you with jealousy and selfish ambition. Why? Because you're always comparing yourself to the rest of the people in this world who wants to make, you're you're competing for the point. And it shows up in that you, you're denying the truth, you're false to the truth, you're arrogant, you're boasting, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to others. This, we live in a culture where people who are miserable work very hard to show you that they're not miserable. They're trapped in addiction, their relationships are falling apart, they can't buy enough stuff to keep them happy. They're constantly comparing themselves to the rest of the world. They're living discontented and frustrated lives, and yet on the, on the front side, on the, on the facade side, they're trying to show the world, hey, I got it all together. Life is good, I'm in charge. I'm the point, and they're not wise enough to know that the world doesn't revolve around them. And so they live in this disordered chaos fueled by their foolishness. James says, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes from down from above. It is earthly and spiritual and demonic. Question, how do I know that I'm falling into foolish thinking? How do I know that I'm exhibiting foolishness? Well, James gives us three different characteristics. One, it's temporary. It's earthly. Uh, James uses the word earthly or worldly with no thought of eternity or no thought of a higher authority. We only think of the here and now. We only think of what would satisfy us in the moment. We don't think about the long-term effects or fruit of the choices that we're making. God wants me to be happy. God wants me, does God want you to be happy? And where did we, where did we get that idea? And here's the, here's the better question to ask yourself, friends. Do you even know what will make you happy? Do you even know that? Do you even, do you even know what, what brings you ultimate happiness how many times how many times have you sworn that the thing that the thing that you want that would make you happy uh, doesn't make you happy how many times have you sworn this one thing would make you happy only to want something else to make you happy after you got the one thing that would make you happy parents you say no to your children all the time 
about the things that, were, that are going to make them happy, right? You say no to your children all the time. Why? Because they're morons. <laughs> Actually, no, let me apologize. The, again, the Bible, the Bible would use the word foolish. The Bible would use the word foolish. And parents, that's your job, right? We're all born foolish. Your job as a parent is to grow your children up to be wise. In other words, to grow them up and rid them of the foolishness that they so easily fall into. Okay? So even Garth Brooks knows to thank God for unanswered prayers, right? God keeps us from the things. You say, why do you say no to your children? It's not that you don't want them to be happy. You're trying to protect their happiness because they don't know what will make them happy. How highly must we think of ourselves? How foolish are we to think of ourselves that we know what would truly make us happy without, without any regard to the source of life? the author of life. Foolishness is focused on the here and now. It's, it's temporary. It's earthly. Here's the second characteristic. It's godless. It's just godless. It gives no thought to God. It gives no thought to eternity. It gives no thought to the authority of God. It gives no thought to the life God designed for us. You are the point. You are the agenda. Your happiness is the objective. And it is a slap in the face to the God who created you and desires to give you life. It is, it is temporary. It is godless. Here's the third thing. It is deceitful. It is deceit. Foolishness is deceitful. James calls it demonic. That's a pretty strong word. And when you think about it, what did Jesus call Satan? First and foremost, he is a liar. He is a liar. His, his de- deception is his greatest ploy to lie to us. Foolishness is fueled by the lies uh, we believe about God and about ourselves and about the life that we want to live. And I want to tell you, friends, I've said this before, no one has lied to you more than you. No one has betrayed you more than yourself. You have betrayed yourself. In your own foolishness, thinking that you know better than God, you have deceived yourselves and reaped the fruit of chaos in every vile practice. Contrast that with the wisdom that comes from above, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. False wisdom is going to boast because it sees itself as its own God and its own truth. Wisdom, true wisdom, acknowledges the God who created us and the life that he designed for us to live. So uh, whether it makes sense to me now or not, whether it's difficult for me to do it or not, uh, whether, whether I understand it or not, I believe that God created me and loves me and has designed a life for me to live that I can truly flourish in. And so I'm going to trust his way regardless of what I think or feel. How do I know that I have that kind of wisdom? Well, here's the first characteristic. It's it's pure. It's pure. Pure means undefiled. Undefiled by human reasoning. It's putting our own thoughts aside and searching for the thoughts of God. Pure wisdom leads, as James says, to peacemaking and gentleness. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere like the fruit of the Spirit. It loves joy, peace, and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, humbleness, self-control. This wisdom considers others better than themselves. This wisdom seeks to serve. This wisdom repents willingly and forgives readily. This wisdom, it looks like Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God in bodily form. This wisdom is pure, undefiled by the foolishness of human thinking. Here's the second thing. It's productive. It produces a harvest of righteousness. 
a harvest of righteousness. This is a popular phrase in the Bible. It just simply means to bear the fruit of righteousness. What is right? What is good? And it's not that you're good, that you, but you are covered in the righteousness of God, the God that made peace with you through the blood of Jesus. You walk through life with the wisdom that comes from God, which produces the life God designed for you to live. So here's the, here's the last question. How can I grow in wisdom? How can I grow in wisdom? Have you ever asked that question? I'm glad you asked it this morning because I'm going to, this is what James tells us. So let me give you some suggestions. The first, the first way that we can walk in wisdom is to walk with God, to walk with God. God is the source of truth. God is the source of all wisdom. God is the source of all life. Second Timothy chapter three says all scripture is useful to walk in wisdom. You've got to become a student. Here's the deal, friends. Jesus is the wisdom of God, but we understand the wisdom of God through the word of God. The Spirit of God makes known uh, the wisdom of God through the Word of God. And so we are so bombarded by the wisdom of this world, or better said, the foolishness of this world. We are so inundated and we are so easily tempted to embrace the wisdom of this world. And so to combat that, to fight that, you've got to become a student of the wisdom of God. You've got to saturate yourself in the Word of God. It's not enough to just gain information. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to see the gospel in what you read. You've got to see what God is doing in, in the things that you study. In order to walk in wisdom, uh, you've got to be rooted in a relationship with Jesus that the word of God makes possible for you. So you've got to walk with God. Here's the second thing. You've got to, you've got to walk in community. Walk in community. Proverbs 11 says, where there is no guidance, a person falls. In abundance of counselors, there is safety. You've got to get around men and women who are serious about Jesus and the wisdom of God. People who are hungry for the word of God and the wisdom of God that produces the wisdom of God in their lives. You've got to, you've got to get around people. And I know, friend, you come here every Sunday morning uh, to gain wisdom, okay? The reason why you're sitting here this morning is you're, you're wanting a word from God. You're wanting the wisdom of God so that you can know how to live life in all of its fullness, so I understand that, I get that, and you need to be doing that. But friends, this is not enough. You can't just be listening to the wisdom of God. You've got to be living the wisdom of God in community. Because why? Because you have blind spots. What's a blind spot? It's a spot that you're blind to, okay? It's something in your life that you cannot see. You're either not willing to see or you're unable to see. And so you need other people in your life who love Jesus, who love you, but love Jesus more, to help you see the things in your life that you're either unwilling or unable to see for yourself. Uh, this past week, Celebrate Recovery uh, celebrated uh, the, uh, the end of its uh, ninth season, tenth season, and uh, they're beginning their next season this Thursday night. I would enc- encourage any of you, uh, if this is your next step uh, toward healing and hope, um, uh, to consider Celebrate Recovery. But one of the first things that Celebrate Recovery helps you to, to, to come to is your denial. It helps you to step out of denial. In other words, to help you see the blind spots that are hurting you, the hurts, habits, and hangups that you're either unwilling or unable to see in yourself. And so in that community, uh, these things are revealed to you. Now, here's what's, here's what's very common in Celebrate Recovery. A lot of people go to CR because they've got this one issue in their life. And a few weeks later, they've got like three issues in their lives. That's because Celebrate Recovery creates problems for you. No, that's not true. That's because Celebrate Recovery reveals the problems in you that you didn't see in yourself. Friends, you're not that smart. 
We are not left to ourselves. We are not wise. And so you need a community of believers who love the wisdom of God and love you so that you can see the wisdom of God. Do you understand that? You cannot do this on your own. And Sunday morning is not enough. You've got, you've got to walk in, in community. And here's the third thing. You've got to walk in humility. You've got to walk in humility. You are not the point. You are not the point. You are not the point. God is the point. Jesus is the point. Eternal life is the point. The power of the Holy Spirit transforming you into the likeness of Jesus is the point. You have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge your brokenness and admit your need. You have to hunger after the righteousness of Christ in order for the fruit of righteousness to be born out into your life. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Now what does it mean to fear the Lord? And I've described it this way, and if you need to write this down, this, I think this is really important for you to understand the fear of the Lord. Fearing God is not about what God might do to you. Most of us look at fearing the Lord, like, what is he going to do to me? What is he going to do to me? He's going to punish me. He's going to make things life, he's going to make things hard for me. He's gonna... Fearing God is not about what God is going to do to you. Fearing God is about what you might do to God what you might do to God. Fearing God, here's the deal, friends. You're a sinner, you're a rebellious, foolish sinner that has gone your own way. You've messed up your life. You've separated yourself from God. And here's the good news. Whatever God would have done to you because of that rebellion, he has done to Jesus. Jesus took your punishment so you could get his reward. So when it comes to fearing the Lord, friends, well, let me look at, uh, look at Psalm 130. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, sin, O Lord, who could stand? Well, nobody. If God looked at us through our sinfulness, nobody would stand. Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, again, what does forgiveness have to do with fear? You fear not what God might do to you because whatever he would have done to you through faith, he has done to Jesus. Okay, so whatever punishment came your way went to Jesus so that you could have the reward of Jesus, so that you could have the eternal life that Jesus promised. And so I no longer fear what God might do to me. I fear what, might, what I might do to God, the God who loved me enough to save me, the God who loved me enough to give me life. The God who is so pleased with me through the blood of Jesus, that I, I don't fear him being displeased with me. I fear ever being displeased, displeasing to him. Does that, does that make sense? How could I ever embrace the love of Jesus and not be concerned with the way I live my life in honor and gratitude, pleasing him? Do you understand what I'm saying here, friends? Through the blood of Jesus. God considers me worthy. And to the, uh, to the degree I understand his grace and embrace that truth, I will live my life to please the one who is pleased with me. And I will fear not ever doing that. May I never live in the foolishness of my own wisdom. Ushers, we are ready for communion. I just want to share this one thought before uh, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the word of the cross, salvation, what Jesus has done for us is foolishness to those who are perishing. You may be one of, uh, 
we have those in the world. You may be here this morning thinking, why would Jesus die for me? Why, do, why doesn't God just forgive me? This doesn't make sense to me. This is, you know, I, I don't understand this. And so, so for people who don't understand the gospel, the, the cross just seems foolishness. But friends, when you realize that you, are, you were created by God for love and your sin has separated you from that God of love and that the only remedy for your sin is the death of Jesus on your behalf, it is no longer the foolishness of this world. It is the wisdom of God. It is the wisdom of God. And it is the wisdom that gives you life. So as we celebrate communion this morning, would you thank him for his wisdom? Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that you loved us in our foolishness. That you loved us out of our foolishness. And we fear that we would ever abuse that grace. Father, we need you. And we need the wisdom that only your son provides for us. So as we think about that in these moments of communion, would you speak to our hearts about your truth and about the life you died to give us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.